Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. We'll talk about anything and everything. We don't well, have any Well, as far problem. as you know, yeah. <laughs> By thing. Uh, and let's keep it that way. <laughs> This is Death, Sex, and Money. I can't unclench when there's turbulence. You know, I'm an atheist. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. You know what, but we're not a couple anymore. And need to talk about more. Okay, so you don't have any money. I'm Anna Sale. And a few weeks back, we asked you to send in your questions about life dilemmas, ranging from the minuscule to the major. It was for a live advice show that we did in New York with comedian Hurry Kondabolu and his mom, Uma Kondabolu. I first met Hurry and Uma last year. I interviewed them on stage in Brooklyn when I was six months pregnant. Uma talked about raising Hurry and his brother in Queens, and she gave me some parenting advice. And she continued to check in with me after the show. As I told our live audience, I got a text a few weeks after we met. This is from Uma. Kondabolu on my phone. Hi, Anna. How are you? Thinking about you every day. Still working? Health is okay? She's just checking in. (laughs) And we exchanged texts after my baby June was born in June, and she gave me a thumbs up when I sent a picture. Um, So they are the kind of people that that you feel looked after by. Um, So I'm so glad they are here to answer advice questions. So without further ado, we're going to start with our first question from a listener from Death, Sex, and Money who lives in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Arielle, and I have something on my mind for which I could use some advice. So I'm in my early 30s, and for the past few years, my social life has been filled with weddings and baby showers. And in fact, this year, my partner and I have 11 weddings and seven babies coming so far that we know of. Uh, I do feel really ambivalent about marriage and motherhood for myself. I don't want to make these big life choices simply because they're expected, but I worry that my life is becoming obsolete and know that time is ticking if I do want to start my own biological family. So do you have any advice for living a worthy life if I decide to not marry and start a family? Thank you. Thanks for starting with the softball. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, tips for living a worthy life. Um, tips for living a worthy life if you don't uh, follow the expected route of marriage and motherhood, especially for women. Who cares what everyone else is doing? I mean, like, at the end of the day, it's like they're not going to wake up at 3 in the morning because your kid's crying. Like, that's on you. That's true. As a new mother, <laughs> nobody else comes in. But Maybe but, dad. But when it's your kid, you won't feel it. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, when you want it, and you think time is passing by, are you, if you are sure that you may not miss it, you can adopt it. it if that's your, that kind of a person, that should be fine. But one thing I should tell is, life will never be the same again. If you think, okay, I can have the kid like a... Stop looking at me when you say that, please. <laughs> There's uh, no halfway. There's no yeah. halfway. And I think she should go for it. I mean, I think the big thing is, if she wants, that's the big question. Big, yes. That's the big question. Is and she I think, ready for it? And that's the hardest, because women have the time pressure. Yes. So that's like the yeah. decision-making has to happen on a... There's a deadline. Yeah. Our next question is a video question, so you can see it here or here. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can watch it at deathsexmoney.org. Dear Anna and the amazing Death, Sex, and Money crew, my name is Katie, and I'm a marine biology PhD candidate based in Boston. I'm really close to my very large family that lives mostly here in New England, and I see everyone several times a month. Since my dad passed away two years ago, family time has become even more important for everyone, especially for my mom. Within the next two years, I'll finish my PhD, and it will be time for me to really start my career. I study Caribbean corals in the context of coral reef restoration, so my dream job, and really where my career is headed, will have me living and working quite far from my family. My family has always been incredibly supportive of me and my career choices, but recently, whenever I talk to my family about what my next steps are, they half-jokingly tell me that I can't leave them and that I can't move away to the Caribbean. Do you have any advice for me as I try to balance this really strong connection I have with my very large family and balance that with my strong drive to realize the full potential of my career and really contribute to the recovery of coral reefs? Thanks, and I can't wait to hear from you. This is a hard one. Yes. And the fate of coral reefs are at stake. (laughs) (laughs) Uma, you live very far from your family. Yeah. um, If kids... Suppose in my case, I, I left my country, live alone, little distance. And if my kids want to do it to fulfill their career, I think uh, I would let them go. I think without happiness, uh, you f- find resentment later. Oh, if they didn't let me go, I would have been somebody. I would have been happy. I could have done that. I think better than that, they should go now, find their path do whatever she wants to do. And always you can come back and keep in touch. Nowadays, like, you can see each other all the time. And it need not be in your lap. I, <laughs> I know she, she means it because um, I remember the first time, well, when I, decided, when I decided to do stand-up and things were starting to take off and I had my first set of, of meetings, you know, it was a big deal for me at the time. And I was traveling to L.A. and everything. And I found it after my, my trip. I was gone a couple of weeks. And my mom had a heart attack in the middle of it. And she didn't want me to know. She told my, my father and my brother not to tell me. Because she, <laughs> she didn't want it to interrupt what I was doing. And in hindsight, I'm still really pissed about it. Like, <laughs> I want to know if my mom had a heart attack. And I don't... For my mom, like, she, she means it. Like, she, she doesn't want... There to ever be regret. I mean, at the end of the day, like you know, if she feels like she, she cannot even enjoy doing the work she's doing, then she knows she has to go back. But if she's able to feel engaged and and actually do the work that she feels she she's supposed to do, like I, that's I think isn't that isn't that why you raise kids? Isn't that why you 
you, you educate them. Isn't that why you want them to succeed? So. And her, you travel a lot for work. Mm-hmm. And I think of you as someone who is deeply connected to family and to place, to Queens, to where mm-hmm. your family is. Mm-hmm. H- how do you keep that connection when it's very you hard. are all over? It's very hard. I mean, I think that's, another, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, just like how much longer can I tour at this pace? And this is, this is something I've, I've done more often, is, is trying to come up with a, like, wh- where is this going? Trying to figure, where is this going? What is my limit? Um, and what is the cost? And is it worth it? I try to call as much as I can. I try to text as much as I can. I let them know when I take off and when I land. Uh, Every time? Every yeah, st- time. Yeah, because he never misses. He, he, in the airport, I'm leaving Ma this time. And he texts me from airport. And on the way back, he texts me from airport. Which is ridiculous. I'm in a cab. It's ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, it's like, my son's in the air in a machine. <laughs> it's, it's scary. I get it. You know, I'm... I'm scared to death too, but like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think those are little things, but at the same time, like, I worry that like she's keeping something from me that's big because she doesn't want to get in the way. And I think I'm at a point now, honestly, that none of this really matters. It's fun. I get, to, I have a cool job. I get to do work I love, and I, I'm appreciative of the work I do. But at the end of it, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think to come back to not telling you. I would do it again. I know necessary because and it makes me very unhappy to know that. No, um, <laughs> if I know for sure I'm going, I'm not. I I won't live anymore. Then I tell him, okay, <laughs> <laughs> come back, have one last look or something. One last look. <laughs> one last. <laughs> but if I know, I'll be all right after a couple of days. Why bother anybody? Especially when they worked so hard and he traveled all the way. He's somewhere and that feeling is not pleasant. Oh, my mom might die and let me rush back. What if I don't? That's apart from being... I, I never want to... I know he's very sensitive and I don't want him to put this burden on it. You're protecting him. Yeah. We have some <laughs> questions from the audience, but they didn't want to be named. So know that they're among you. This question is, my family hates my boyfriend. I love him. I love my family. Help. Huh. I mean, it's leaving out a lot of details. Like, (laughs) why does your family hate your boyfriend? Um, Does it have to do with uh, this person's background? Does it have to do with what this person currently does? Does it have to do with how... Uh, he treats you? Does it have to do with how he treats them? Like, you know, there's a lot of different... And for each of those situations, there's going to be different answers. I mean, if it's because, like, you know, your boyfriend's a different race and I just don't feel comfortable with it, well, then your parents can go to hell. And, um... (laughs) But I think... (laughs) uh, But I think if it's, like, you know, if it's something to do with their career, their jobs, I mean, that doesn't seem particularly right. And if it has to do with how he treats her or them, that seems like a really valid discussion. So just, there seems like there's a lot of variables in there. But I think you answered the question. I answered many questions in that question, yeah, yes. Because it's yeah. like, think about, think about what, where this is coming from, from your family, and whether it feels aligned. If I'm the mother, I would like to more about that person. So instead of keeping an open mind, bring him more often to meet them. And they hate more. Or they might not hate anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, bring them around more and see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah. 
Or an explain to the parents that he's a nice guy. Whatever they want for her to be happy. I say, I see this, this and this in him. That's why I started dating him. Explain it to them. And expose him more to them and vice versa. My mom never told me what to do with uh, my exes. He, she always just tried to stay neutral and like I would talk about what issues I had and she would like kind of explore it with me and in hindsight I really wish she told me to get out of a couple of them. Like some of the... Uh, <laughs> I'm like, ah, yeah, that could have been a couple of years saved. But, yeah. Next time. Next, thanks. <laughs> Another question from the audience, also an anonymous question. At what point can you have the boyfriend-girlfriend conversation? Huh, that's good. I think it's different for each person. Uh, the intensity of the feelings, I feel. If, if this person hits up right away and you feel strongly connected, I think it's two, three meetings. And if he's genuine, you know. Girl always knows. Mm-hmm. And for boys, it takes like six months. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in New York, the rules are different, to be yes. fair. <laughs> like the fir- by the first date, I want to know what's going on. The second day, are we moving in or not? Yeah. Because <laughs> this rent's getting high. We have to keep it down right now. So, I mean... I mean, I think it's when you start feeling that you have expectations of any sort. Okay, I have expectations. Is it okay to have expectations? Does this person have expectations of me? And if so, that must mean something, right? So, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's like a bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. that's I, like what the boyfriend-girlfriend conversation is. What yeah. can we expect from each other? Yeah. But for an Indian, that my generation, it's no dating, no girlfriend. I just saw my husband before the wedding. Um, so I think two, three days, I know it's, a, it's something I took on and it's a lifelong trouble. A <laughs> 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 lot of adjustment uh, and raising, raising. I'm still raising him. I'm finished with them. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> The next question. Your dad is probably watching this. It is being, <laughs> it is being live streamed. Hello, so. live. Yeah. One thing good about your father, I'm confident, is he knows the way I'm talking about him, how I feel. Yeah. And we have a great understanding of each other. Right. And then whatever I say, he knows what I mean. Right. So what do you he mean? Gets, it's just show business. <laughs> Okay, we have a few quicker questions. Let's listen to this one. My name is Kevin. I'm 30. I've had a lot of upheaval in my life recently, including a rather dramatic career change. However, I'm still feeling pretty stuck. What advice do you have for someone who wants to have a successful and fulfilling career? And how do I figure out what that even looks like? Kevin, Kevin wants to have meaning and be, feel fulfilled. He's 30. He doesn't know how to start. When you feel stuck, like what's the first step to feel unstuck? I mean, for me, like therapy has been very useful. Just <laughs> preach. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, just to be able to talk through stuff with another person that is, you know, doesn't have a stake in you. Like, you know, some people go to career counselors or some people talking to your friends or but I do think therapy is like what is it that you really want out of your life and not just out of your career but out of your life you know 
why did you choose this job? What was it that you were trying to get out of it? And how come you're not getting it? What is missing? Like, you know, why did you assume this is what you needed? Did you go to therapy when you were shifting from human rights work into comedy? No. No, that didn't do it. I mean, I, I think uh, if you honestly want to know, it's, uh, those relationships were brutal, man. Um, you know, you're, you're brainwashed, uh, I, I think, in general, but especially as a, uh, as a young person growing up in this country, to think love is a certain thing based on you know, what we watch in television and film. And uh, when the rude awakening comes for some of us, that like, oh, not at all. There's something that happens after the film ends, and it is unpleasant. <laughs> That's when the work shows up. Like, Diane would have dumped Lloyd Dobler in London and say anything. She like, would have. Totally. She would have. You wanted to be a kickboxer with no real plan? <laughs> anyway. Um, and that, like, yeah, love story ends with her dying. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> it's not 1970. You had time. But maybe that was for the best. Maybe they would have had a miserable time after because he was an ass. He was an ass, you know. But all that being said, I feel like trying to navigate that, and especially I think, um, you know, I, my parents are great, but you know, their life is very different than my life as an American, especially with regards to love. You know, like they had an arranged marriage. They they had a very different adolescence. Their expectations were different. The culture was different. The time was different. And now all of a sudden, I'm I'm being raised almost like. In one regard, like an Indian kid from another country in like the 60s and 70s, and I'm in this country now. It doesn't really, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm learning from film and television, and I feel like, you know, therapy for me in large part is like, how, um, how do I deal with the fact that my expectations of life were wrong? I think he's um, Kevin? not having Kevin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being not happy, maybe there is a different reason for it too. He's focusing only on career, but easy one to talk about. Maybe his relationship is not good, or he's at the life where like his, there are several paths and he don't know where to go. And apart from therapy, I think he should sit and write down what other things are not the way he wants it, hmm. and figure it out. That's good advice. We have a question from Judith that's a good one. Hi, Death, Sex, and Money. I'm a mom of a millennial. I grew up in a blue-collar family. And so when it came time to leave, I left. There was no help from my parents. But it seems like parents help their kids out financially a lot longer than they used to. And no one seems to talk about it openly. Um, And I'm wondering, is continuing to pay for cell phones and other things... Um, help them or hurt them. It seems like um, people feel like if they have the means, they automatically should help. And I don't know if that's the right answer. Thanks. Pass. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Uma? (laughs) Um, It's situation to situation is different. If the kid is just lazy, not willing to do anything, cut him out. (laughs) Uh, And he's trying to do something specific. His heart is in the right place. He's working hard for it. Then help him. After all, he's your kid. Uh, And negotiate. 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 You go half, I go half. Or while aiming to be an artist, 
work somewhat. You don't need to be so specific. We can... <laughs> he or she, they, you can be vague. It could be all sorts of professions. Other someone who chose a career in the arts. There's so many things. How about lawyers? Go with lawyers. I, I like arts. <laughs> yeah, all right. Is it, um, is it comfortable for you two to talk about money together? Yes. I mean, honestly, I, I've never really been that dependent on money as, a, as an adult. And, uh, you know, I've had jobs, like, pretty much right out of college into whatever this is. There was that stretch, though, when uh, I moved back after grad school and I wanted to do stand-up comedy full-time. And uh, it was really weird borrowing money from my parents because that is not something I expected to do. Uh, and they were supportive because they knew I was pursuing this. And a, f- a few times um, I wanted to quit. You know, that's extremely hard. I think for my mom, I, I know she was really good with, like, talking about, like, you know, this being an investment in myself. And sometimes in, investing in yourself means not investing money but time. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, we never thought money is more important than my kids and their dreams full, being fulfilled. Uh, we both still feel the same way. Um, him, Hari or Ashok, both of them. Um, we know, like, we have a roof over our head and retirement comes. We, we don't need much. So whatever they need, we are there all the time. The only uh, thing I tell them both is go out and try your best. Give your 100%. Always home is here. Your door is always open. We are here. Come home. I mean, I know that sounds just like, like, like oh, all-American family with but brown. But I think... Um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of truth. Like, my father worked, like, three, four, five jobs. Like, he had his main job and a bunch of side jobs while, like, we were going to school. My mom, of course, like, as a woman, has, like, her job and then, like, the unpaid labor of the household and stuff. And so, you know, I know they mean it because, like, they never had time to do anything. And we've, you know, I've seen more of India than my parents have, you know, just through touring and traveling. And so... You know, they actually uh, have, have stood beh- uh, behind that, yeah. But I'm proud of the way they turned out. They're fine human beings, very sensitive, um, courteous to people. Whatever I think I taught them or showed them by being the one, I think they made me proud, I should say. Not often enough, but this is the only time I have to say that. <laughs> Coming up. Uma and Hurry weigh in on more of your questions, including how to know if you and your partner are having enough sex and what to do about your compulsive Googling habit. Is this cancer? Oh, I think it's cancer. We'll find out if it's cancer. For the past month or so, we've been collecting your stories about student loan debt. We've heard from hundreds of you about how the amount you owe has impacted your relationships. He told me that he doesn't think that people with student loan debt should be allowed to have kids. And how your debts affected your career and where you live. I bought a Sprinter van and I built out the inside uh, to live in. So I now live in this with my girlfriend and our three dogs. We're working on an episode about this now, and whether you've sent in a story or not, we have another assignment for you. We want you to show us your student loan debt, specifically the exact amount you owe. 
Take a picture of that number, whether it's a close-up of your monthly loan statement or your account balance on a computer screen, or you can show us the number in some other way. Write it down, paint it somewhere, take your kids' blocks and spell it out that way. However you want to show us, take a picture of the current amount of student loan debt you owe with your hand pointing to it. You don't have to show your face. We're not going to use your name, but we might use your photo on our webpage. So email your picture to us to deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode. Hello. Hi, Evelyn. This is Anna. You just confirmed my pickup? Yes. Producer Katie Bishop and I take an Uber and another and another and another and hear the stories of the drivers behind the wheel. Hi. Hi. What are those so big, big microphones? You're scaring me now. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Let's get to our next question for Hurry Kondabolu and his mom, Uma. This one came in from a 28-year-old listener in San Francisco. So I have a question about sex specifically. I've been with my boyfriend for four years, and we've lived together for two years. And in the last year or so, we've pretty much stopped having sex. Uh, Right now, we're doing it about once a month or sometimes once every other month. Um, I'm just really busy with a new career in school, and I'm not really interested or thinking about sex at all. He actually has been struggling with depression that lowers his sex drive, but I really can't see myself with anyone else. So is there a rule for a minimum amount of sex a couple my age should be having? And at what point does the plateau become an indication of a doomed relationship? You I'm already take, used your pass. i got to take Hurry. a call yeah. if that's okay. <laughs> Oh, that's a really difficult question. I don't. Th- I, it seems ridiculous to put a number on it. Like the once you put a number on it, you're like done, isn't it? Like you can't be like, okay, this is it's that time. <laughs> all right, it's that day. We agreed to that day, so you know, get all into me, and I'll get into you. And <laughs> it doesn't I mean it? Ah. Oh. Well, here's what yeah. I hear her saying. She says, "I can't picture myself with anyone else." She says, I'm busy, I'm not really in the mood. He might be depressed, not in the mood. So it sounds like she's saying, I'm worried that we're not normal. But, but we're both not really excited about sex right now. If the question is, are we normal or not, if it's working, if you're both yeah. getting what you need, focus on that. Focus on what's missing if it feels like it's not like we're not doing what we think we should be doing. Right. It's, does this feel like something is missing between us in terms of connection or intimacy? Oh, then, I mean, at that point, then, then if it comes down to what is the expectation, what is the norm, there is no norm. You're talking about two people with all sorts of different variables trying to find a way to make it work. There is no norm. You, you figure it as you go along. So if this is working for them, if they don't feel like something's missing, it's like 
you know, I, maybe I, she is thinking that this is may not be going in the right direction. The thing is, I think everybody's life has a point where both are stressed. Life is stressful nowadays, and especially for younger ones like young adults. And so he, she is busy with her career, and that's important. And he has a problem; he's depressed. So I think they should do what he should get better, seek help, and she should do what she should do and talk it out. If they care for each other, they'll be fine after a couple of months or a year. As long as you care about each other, that's the most important thing in a relationship. I love this person. We are going through a bad patch. So just be happy and talk it out. Solve your problems. Achieve your goals, and things will be fine. Gosh, Uma, get, somebody give this woman a podcast. Just really. <laughs> Here is a question from an anonymous listener. So I'm currently in a graduate program. This program is really competitive, and I hadn't made any friends until January when I started to become close with someone. We started spending a lot of time together, and she has been a huge source of support for me as I have been for her. The problem is, a few weeks ago, she started making racist comments or jokes targeting mostly my race, I'm Latina, but sometimes other races. She also makes sexist comments. I've told her it's not funny, I hate it, and it's fucked up. She's continued to do so, and now I just want to end the friendship. What's the best way of doing it, considering we'll have to spend the next two years together in class? I appreciate your help. (sighs) That's a tough one for me. Yeah. Um, I think if she really values this friendship, she needs to talk to her friend seriously. If this girl finds it offensive, um, she should tell her so. If she doesn't stop, tell her this is not working with me and I'm getting upset by you talking like that. If she's genuine, she'll find another friend, if not this person. I'm sure she doesn't mean harm, hopefully, and they should talk it out. I mean, if the the issue is... Am I going to lose my friend? Well, from the sounds of it, like she's made an attempt to try to tell her friend, you know, how this hurts or that it's messed up. And her friend apparently has stopped being her friend already. Um, and then if the issue is like, okay, then I, I am no longer friends with this person and I have to deal with them. We already have to deal with them. We're already dealing with them in a, in a more intimate way as friends. I think it's almost easier to deal with the awkwardness of passing by them in the hall than having to actually deal with them on a one-on-one level hurting you. Also, you know, like, as a person of color trying to deal with, with racism in this country, having to deal with someone that you care about and who does racist things and who you cannot be around anymore... There's a lot of terrible racist stuff that a person of color has to deal with on a day-to-day, and, and part of me feels like, yeah, this is maybe good practice in a weird way. You get used, sometimes it's not as simple as, like, strange, racist, some other, an other. Sometimes it's per, a person who's close to you, somebody you actually care about and are invested in. That's what makes it hurt more, because you let yourself be vulnerable. And in some weird way, I think it's almost like, you go through this, you, if you decide not to be friends and you have to deal with that awkwardness, I mean, that's part of building 
a, a skin thick enough to deal with what you're going to deal with after school. So is the practice how learning how to, how to take it? Or are you saying the practice is learning how to say, I'm not going to take no, this? No, it's both. I think it's, it's learning how to say, I'm not going to take this. Learning how to say that, like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Drawing a line, realizing that, like, it's not a friendship at a certain point. You know, it's not if, if the person is constantly hurting you, even if they have amazing traits with them, if they're willing to hurt you, that enough to me is like, like, I'll be good to you, but I'm going to be mean to you. That's abusive. I'm, I, don't, I think at that point you have to get out of that situation unless the person is willing to actively work on themselves. But I, I think after that point, when you have to deal with that person outside of it, if the fear is like, well, I have to interact with them again, I have to deal with them again. But that's the real world. Like, there are people you have to work with that you hate. There are people, your bosses are racist. You're, you have family members who are racist. This is the real world. That's, that comes and with part and parcel of America. And also she should show her strength in able to say to her, stop it now. It's developing a character. Show the other person. Sometimes they play with your emotions to see how far they can go. And then at some point, you need to look them straight in the eye. I know what you are doing. Stop it. And next time I may not be this pleasant or polite. I'm smiling all the time, but not inside. And then mm, you won't want to be around me if that happens. Uh, uh, I think that's important. We have another question from the audience. Sometimes I think I'm addicted to Googling my problems. Is this bad, unhealthy? I mean... Treat Google as if you are talking, like, I have a question. Let me talk to 100 random people to see what the answer is. I'm like, eh, do you trust those 100 random people? Really? What should I do? Uh, you know, wh- I think I feel this bump. What do you think it is? What do they know? I'm assuming that's what you go. Oh, what, what else would the well, person I, Google? Well, I, I once Googled, should I get divorced? I swear. I Googled really? that once. Yeah. I was at the end of my, I, I was so desperate. Just want to clarify here, this was at the end of my first marriage. This happened a long time ago. And it was really, I was, it was like late at night, and it was, I had a question. So I Googled it. Yeah. And there was not an answer from Google. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting to notice that my impulse when I'm like wondering about this, you go to Google. So I think it's like, what are you Googling? And pay attention to that question. When you wanted, when you decided to, to Google that, what were you hoping for? Just to kind of get a survey of the world. <laughs> I, I was hoping for I had a survey of the world, and also like you know, some really well crafted. Here are the real nine signs you should get divorced. Right, you know, right, like right, right. the real one. You know, right. This is this is from like the New, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, yeah, exactly. not, like, not Buzzfeed. Right. This is yeah. evidence based nine signs right, you right. should get divorced. Right. Yes, um, we have another question. My parents live in Oregon. They're recently retired, ready to move. My life is here. Job, fiance, his family, the works. They're thinking of moving to Florida or Indiana. I desperately want them to live in a three-hour radius of me here in the New York City area. How do I convince them? How do I convince my parents to move closer to me? Mm, that's, <laughs> that's not fair. To uh, force them or blackmail them emotionally or just say, I want you around me. They're retired. They have a life. And Florida warmth is what they want, they should get it. And you, you visit them more often. 
ask them to go to Orlando where flights are convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Did your family feel ready for you to come to the U.S. when you left India? No. Um, I was the first born in the family. My father was very devastated when I left. For me, it was difficult too. But only thing I could tell them was, you are the ones who arranged this. I could, you could have found the guy next door. <laughs> it's on you. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? I said yes to this guy. Now I committed myself to this relationship. It's, it's like we both need to live. Your mom is on her way soon for a yes, long visit. Yes, to she's Queens. 82. And uh, she wants to be close to the grandchildren. I know it's funny. Like, uh, so my my grandmother last lived in the U.S. in 1995, and then she moved back to India and she lives alone in her town. And you know, we'll talk on the phone, and I'll say, you know, when are you going to come visit us here? You haven't been here in so long. And she would say, well, I'll, I'll I'll come on, you know, when you and your brother get married on one of your wedding days. And she finally tapped out. She was just kind of like. <laughs> She's just like, oh, 22 years, you're still holding strong, huh? Okay, I guess I don't have that much time to keep waiting, so I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this trip this year. So, yeah. She's coming this month. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very happy about it. And she wants to see them more often, but they need to make their adjustments and spend some time with her. I guess I got to be, I've been, a, I've been an okay son, so I better be a better grandson. I guess that's what it means. One more listener question. A family member left me some money, and my inserted new husband and I don't agree about what to do with it. We're recently married, and it was my family, it was my family member. How much does my husband get to say about what we do with this money? Oof. Mm, that's a difficult one. <laughs> Depends on how much you know about him because she said she's recently married. How much can you trust his judgment? It's not about money or anything else, because they have had to travel a little bit further to know about each other. So until that time, put it in the bank and don't talk about it. I'm trying to understand, like, just because um, you're married doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship is more advanced than someone who is not married. Like, that, that if you're three years in, you're still only three years in, maybe you still don't know a ton about this person, you don't know what it is, that like how they view money, how they interact with money, how you both share money. If that's all new, then it seems a little strange to all of a sudden your first big thing as a couple is, you know, there's a ton of money here, what do we do with it? No, keep it to the side and decide later. If decision should be mutual, if she doesn't know, if she won't have I mean, asked why if she's sure of it. But why does it have to be mutual? You know, because they just got married and it's, it's her... That's relative. why it should be mutual if it's a lump, big money. Because if she wants to buy a house, he should live there too. Oh, you mean he should? <laughs> <laughs> so if they want to have kids, he should be there too. So it should be mutual. So just take your time. Mm. Uh, until you know that person well, whether you want to live with him for longer or have kids with him uh, or whatever. Just get to know each other. And once you trust he has a sound judgment, he means right. well, then decide. And if he, and if he f- 
like flips out about this, well then, you know. Then he's not the guy. Right. And find out whether you can get it annulled. Is this the kind of advice you were hoping this we would is give? Exactly like, right. Mm. This is exactly right. It no. seems like this is an opportunity to decide how they're going to handle money together. Yes, mm. and then this is a good indicator that they should talk about these issues more and more. Yeah, I like put it in the bank and leave it there for a minute. And then let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, and she should make her wishes clear. I mean, all the hard relationship quest- questions. I'm just saying whatever. I really have no idea. I'm just like guessing. I'm like I, I guess just be careful. There is somebody out there listening to this. Maybe uh, <laughs> everything. Yeah. Everything's a dating opportunity. Everything, right? No. Everything's an opportunity. Fine, mom. Uma and Hari Kondabolu, thank you, and thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. That's Hurry Kondabolu and Uma Kondabolu on stage with me at the Green Space at WNYC. You can see the full video from that night on our website at deathsexmoney.org. And if you want to listen to my first conversation with Hurry and Uma, go back into your feed to March of 2016 and look for one of my favorite episode titles. It was called Rosie, Sixto, Hurry, Uma, Mahershala, Amatus, Lisa, and Dan. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to Destry Sibley, Chase Colpon, Jennifer Sindro, and the whole team at the Green Space at WNYC for their help on this episode. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money. And I know I say this to you a lot, but I really mean it. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. This week, we're sharing your responses to our call out for step parenting tips after one of our listeners wrote in asking for your advice. You can read this week's newsletter and subscribe at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. Curry's podcast is called Politically Reactive. He co-hosts with another friend of our show, W. Kamau Bell, and it will keep coming out on Thursdays all summer long. He's also heading west on tour. You can find all his show dates on his website, hurrykondabolu.com. And as he travels, he'll be checking in with his mom regularly. But Uma admits she's not sure how honest she'll be with him back. She says her younger son, Ashok, was upset the last time when she told him about her heart attack that kept it from hurry. Uh, so from now on, I might do it, I may not, but I don't even tell Ashok now. <laughs> it's, it's tell them both or neither. Neither, yeah. yeah. It's a weird game, Ma. It's a weird game. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.